The title of the message today is The Condition of My Love for Jesus. And I um, want to share some things that are personal to me, and I hope they're personal to you. Uh, I want you to really think about your own heart this morning and uh, the condition of your love. Um, the whole point of the Christian life, of life in, indeed, is to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And if you don't get that right, yeah, nothing else really goes right either. Um, we had to show proof of, you know, a vaccine to come on the island. And, but what's our proof of our love? And I was just thinking about that uh, because I've been praying for renewal for myself. And if you examine my outer life, um, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Well, that's a long time. Um, and it, but it's not that long. It doesn't seem that long ago that, uh, that I came to know Christ. I was 27. Um, so I regularly worship. I'm usually in a church every Sunday morning and worshiping. Um, I give regularly of my money. I give of my time. Um, I have time with the Lord every morning. I generally would, I guess, live a life of obedience. At least, at least that's what it probably looks like. Uh, but I know my heart. And I know I can go through the motions, I can do the duty, do my thing for God, but my heart can be kind of common and ordinary. And I don't want that. Uh, I want to have a renewal of my love for the Lord, and, and it, it ebbs away slowly, and it just doesn't come back in an instant. It has to be cultivated. Uh, and one of the things God has used to cultivate this in my life is this young fellow uh, named Troy, who's part of our small group. And Troy came to the Lord last year, and uh, every time he, I see him, he's just infectious. Like, he's just always praising God, and this is what God's doing, and this is what, who I was telling this week, and, and this is answers to prayer, and he's just on fire. And I think, yeah, I used to be like that. <laughs> and, and some of it is, you know, age, and, uh, but... You know, truth be told, his heart is closer to the Lord than I think mine is. And that, that, that draws me. I, I start remembering what it was like um, when I was like that. And I want that back. And so that's been my prayer this summer and, and this year. Um, so uh, just some points to make and some scriptures to look at. We're going to begin Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, where, you know, God just doesn't invite us to love him. He commands it. He commands that we love him. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's not kind of optional here. It's like a command from God. You're going to do this. You said you would be my people, and I said I'm going to be your God. That was the covenant Israel made with the Lord. And so he says, You're, you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this word uh, love in, in Hebrew is ahab, and uh, it means to have affection for, um, to desire, to breathe after when you're ah, just wanting something and you're just longing for something. It's this uh, longing that comes out of your heart and this delight that you would put in God. And now we put delight in a lot of things, um, whether it's... Uh, food or beauty or whatever, and God says, I want you to take that delight and put it in me first. And so all through the Bible, you have examples of that. Uh, one of my favorites is Abraham's love for Isaac. 
You know, he had Isaac when he was about 100 years old, and when they thought, this is crazy, we'll never have a kid, and, and it was kind of a funny thing, family thing, and, 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 and all of a sudden they have this boy. And, and Isaac is, you know, God says, I want you to prove your love for me, Abraham, by offering up your son Isaac. And Abraham actually goes through with it, right to the point of holding the knife before God stops him. And, and, and God says, stop, I, I see that you have a great love for me. Um, so we understand family love. That's kind of, you know, we're all part of a family somewhere and we understand that. Um, in the Psalms in particular, we, we see David's love for God. And David was not perfect by any means, but he had a real heart for God and he really loved God. And when I read the Psalms, it, it draws me toward the Lord. And so every summer, it's been my practice to just slowly read the Psalms and just absorb all that uh, the Spirit of God would, would show me. And then we get to the New Testament, you have Jesus' love for the Father. And, and it's a love that's kind of incomprehensible to us because there's the love, he says, that the love I had with you before the foundation of the world. Long before we came into being, the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Father. And there's just something really special about that that we just can only really get a glimpse of. So um, that is repeated, the scriptures repeated in the New Testament in Mark chapter 12 um, when a, a scribe uh, comes up to Jesus and asks him the question, which commandment is the most important of all? And it's good to know what's most important. You know, if you know what the number one priority is, then you can kind of order your life and your existence in the right way. And so Jesus said, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, everything you've got, every part of you, every aspect of who you are is to love God. And that word is agape, and you're familiar with that word, I think. And there's different ways to express it, but um, self-sacrifice, uh, action, is sort of how I see it. Um, and Jesus uh, kind of defined it uh, for us in John chapter um, 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So that's agapeo. That's, that's the highest kind of love you can have when you are willing to lay down yourself and even your very life for God and, and for other people. Um, Vine, who... Uh, William Vine, who wrote uh, a lot of word study, did a lot of word study work that, you know, from years ago that we still use today. He calls it the characteristic word of Christianity. If there's one word that would define Christianity, it would be agape, because it's a Christian word. It really wasn't known uh, in early Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. It was just kind of a foreign thing, but it became a Christian word, a Christian concept. And agape is what First uh, John 4, 8 says is the essential nature of God, that God is loved. Uh, Paul said, you know, uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And, and so that's the goal. You know, we have faith. We, we put our faith in the Lord, and then we have hope that someday all the promises will be fulfilled, but they'll be fulfilled in the love of God for us and our love for him. So love is the greatest of all. And so God's love is a deliberate choice. Um, I sat in a chair there 40 years ago this summer. I was over in PEI, and 
that summer I was going to church. I kind of didn't even know why I was going to church. I was going to several churches, and I wasn't a believer, and I kept hearing the gospel. And, and I heard, uh, you know, in one of these seats 40 years ago, that uh, God wanted me to have his love. And I was looking for something, and it was dawning, dawning on me that summer that I needed God. And, and uh, that summer I did come to know Christ as my Savior. And so it was God's grace given to me, someone who was unworthy of that grace. And that, to me, was agape love experienced personally. Now, some people don't like this. This idea of worshiping God, you know, that God has somehow must have this big ego and he needs to have his ego stroked. Um, which I think when people talk like that, they project onto God the way they think about themselves. Um, so in John, uh, Matthew chapter um, 10, Jesus talks about what this love would look like. Because frankly, love for God is it's kind of out there. Like it's kind of theoretical and mystical and, and unseen. And, you know, how do you really love God? Well, he says uh, in verse 37, Matthew 10, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So that really sets it... Uh, you know, it really kind of explains things because we can understand what it is to love parents and particularly to love uh, children. Um, we had our, our first granddaughter born early this year and it's like, wow, I'm just experiencing something I only heard about. And I love kids and now I got a granddaughter. And boy, we have a good time together. And regularly, a few times a week, I look after her while uh, my daughter goes off and does something and and husband's working, and, and we just, I get down on the floor with her, and she's crawling on over me, and slobbering all over me, and I feed her, and, and she feeds me, and it's just kind of like this give and take, and, and I go home just blessed. Uh, I love it. it, it it's, it's amazing. And when, um, about a year ago, when our daughter was, you know, quite pregnant, she was really wondering about this baby thing. What's it going to be like to have a baby? And I was saying to her, wow, you're you're going to be amazed. You're going to experience something that you've never experienced. You're going to experience a love that you perhaps didn't really know existed until you have a child. And, and so she, um, you know, when she was about nine months pregnant and, and fed up to here, uh, that's what happens, I guess, when you're nine months pregnant. You've had enough. Let's just get it over with. And what's this going to be like anyway, this, this baby that's going to just change my body and change my life? And and I'd said again, I was just kind of chuckling, you wait. Well, she has the baby, and she said, you know, in the, just in a few days after, she says, I can't believe how I'm obsessed with this baby. I can't stop kissing my baby. It was all about her baby, and I, I just witnessed the transformation of my 31-year-old daughter into a mother. It was incredible. Uh, I was fascinated with the... the the granddaughter, but I'm fascinated with the change in my daughter and just how the love, the way they look at each other, oh, it's beautiful. I think it's tremendous. And so when we understand that love and we can experience that love, and then Jesus says, uh, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So our love for God has got to go above that. And that's really, it's kind of nebulous. Like it's not easy to get your, your hands around that. Um, 
Why would we do that? You know, how could we do that? Well, you know, that's the terms. If you want a relationship with God, says, you know, with God, God says, I've got to be first. And uh, like I said, a lot of people have a problem with that. They, they don't want God to be first. They, they want, <laughs> they, we want us to be first, in truth be told. So in um, 1 Corinthians, God not only sets the terms, but he fulfills the terms as well. So verse 20 of uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, representatives of Jesus God making his appeal through us. So that's sort of what this is. Uh, I'm just standing here talking in God's behalf with his words saying, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I don't know you this morning, I don't know your relationship with the Lord, if it's uh, good or bad or you don't have one, but I'm imploring you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? Because for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and that's God fulfilling the terms. God paid for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. Uh, all the sin of the world was put on Jesus Christ, and then he died and rose again, and God has fulfilled the terms of relationship. God implores you and invites you to be reconciled, and, and so do we. And that's what this is all about. This is why we build these buildings and why we have this worship and, and why people show up and, and why things go on 40 years later. Here you are. Uh, some of you might have been here 40 years ago. Some of you weren't born 40 years ago. But God continues his work trying to implore people to come to him. So I, I implore you, you know, consider your relationship with God and where God uh, is in your life. Now the second thing is... Uh, is love for God our core experience, our core attitude? Like I said, you know, uh, when I became a, a Christian, you know, I was pretty on fire. I was, I was amazed. Like it, and it's really true. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer, and I had experienced a joy I had not known before, a freedom that I had only hoped for and that, that Jesus uh, was building into my life. And so... This is kind of normal for Christians to feel this way. Um, wherever I, we go to churches, and we go to churches around the Maritime, I keep hearing the same thing. Uh, why do we love the Lord? Because of His grace. Because He has sacrificed His Son. It's the core truth of Christianity, and we keep going back to it. Um, and so it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us or constrains us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We get that. We, we realize when, when we realize that Christ has become your substitute, you're, we're called to live for him. And, and Paul said, this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the kind of normal Christian life. That's what we're called to do. Now, this love requires priority. And again, it's not unlike a marriage where you go and get pursued or you do the pursuing. Uh, nowadays, I, you never know who's going to get pursued or who does the asking, but you know, you know what it is, right? You're pursuing somebody. Somebody's pursuing you, and it's sort of like that with the God. And I wasn't really pursuing God. 
I understood he was pursuing me. I kind of, wow, I was kind of blown away by that, that God was calling me. And, and, and he kept kind of inviting me and, and winning me. And, and so, um, so, you know, that established a relationship. So, you know, I was doing that with my wife, Glenda. I was pursuing her. And, and then, you, you know, you, you, you get the relationship, you get the marriage, and now you got her. Where's she going to go? She said, I do. And it's, you know, she's yours for life. And so the priority changes. And, and that's what happens to a lot of marriages. The men just get kind of, uh, you know, it's, you know I, that's taken care of. And I will just go on and, and, and do everything else. That's not the recipe for a good, loving marriage. Uh, your marriage can suffer if you have that kind of attitude. We need to make our wives and husbands need to make your wives and wives need to make your husbands a priority. You need to cultivate the relationship. It requires disciplines. It requires humility. And so does our relationship with God. So that's one, you know, that's supposed to be our experience. And my question to you is, is that your experience this morning? Um, the next thing is, uh, is our love manifested? Uh, Jesus says it should be manifested by obedience. So John 14 is all about uh, that. And says, uh, John 14 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Um, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. Uh, verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. Like, this is pretty important. Uh, we can't say that we're, uh, uh, we love God if we don't obey him. Now, again, a lot of people have trouble obeying God. It's not easy to obey God. Sometimes obeying God means I don't get to do what I want or what my body wants or what my, my mind wants or what the world wants or what other people want. And so, you know, it's a calling back to, okay, am I really, you know, manifesting that in my life? Am I outwardly obeying but inwardly I'm cold? Are we progressing toward holiness or have we just somehow stopped in our walk. And then one more uh, familiar passage and, and one that I've always, has always spoken to me from Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, I know your works. And then verse 4, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And so we can't fully love God if we love something else more, if we love ourselves more, if we put anything in the place of God, it diminishes our love for God, and it's not sincere. Like Romans 12, 9 says, love must be sincere without hypocrisy. Otherwise, it's not really love. It's kind of, I don't know, kind of a contradiction. So I want you to take a minute and just think about your love and the condition of your heart before God, because I, I certainly can't tell, and maybe other people know you better, uh, but they can't really tell either, because only you know what it's like in here. But God knows, and so I think he wants you to bring that before him this morning. So I'm just going to give you a minute to think about the condition of your love.
What I'd like to do is um, take you to another passage, John 21. And I want you to put yourself in this conversation. So the, the conversation is between Jesus and Peter by the Sea of Galilee after they've been out fishing and Jesus shows up and makes breakfast and they're just sitting around on the beach and Jesus asks Peter some questions. So I want you to be in Peter's place and Jesus is asking you questions. And you know, when you think of the relationship, you know, we know that Peter, a few days before, uh, had denied Jesus. Um, maybe it's not a few days, it's sometime before. But before the cross, uh, Jesus, um, Peter denied him. And so, Jesus could have asked a lot of other questions. He could have said, Peter, are you going to be faithful to me from now on? Peter, are you going to be committed to me? Well, he didn't ask that at all. He just simply asked, Peter, do you love me? And so that's the core question. And, you know, commitment, you can make it look like you're committed and still have kind of a tired, ordinary heart. And uh, the Lord wants our hearts engaged. So the first question is, uh, after they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, you know, some people think, well, maybe it was more than the fish they just caught because Peter was a fisherman. Do you love me more than your career? But I don't think that's it. I think it's more the disciples. There's a whole, you know, they're all around, right? And do you love me more than these other disciples? And Jesus was perhaps thinking of what Peter had said uh, the night of the betrayal uh, at, the, at the Last Supper when Peter said, if everybody falls away, I won't fall away. All these guys might leave you, but I'll never leave you. That was Peter's boast. And he really thought he could do that. He, he really thought that uh, he, would, he would not fail. And so, I'm sure Peter was thinking of that when Jesus asked him that question. And so Peter says, uh, and, that, and Jesus used the word agape. Do you love me more than these? And so, um, Peter says, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word that Peter used was filio, which is kind of a friendship, affection, uh, relational, personal attachment, sentiment, feeling, like it's a necessary love. You know, God just doesn't want agape love. He wants filial love. And, and that's friendship love. It's, it's, a, it's the binding love. It's the closeness. It's the personal. And Peter says, I'm your friend, Lord. And I don't think he could bring himself to say that I will lay down my life for you. Uh, so then Peter, uh, Jesus asked him a second time, um, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And so now it's just about him and, and Jesus. And, and uh, you know, maybe Jesus was thinking, Peter, you know, you were the one that said that I was the Messiah. You were the first one to, to declare that I was the Son of God, the Lord. Uh, you understood it before anybody else did. And Peter, again, cannot bring himself because Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I fill your love you. You know that I love you. You know I'm your friend. And I think he just couldn't say it because he knew that he had failed. Um, and so then the third time, uh, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you filio me? Are you really my friend? Are you really close to me? 
Do you really love me like a friend? And at this point it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And maybe Peter was thinking of that night in the courtyard when he denied Jesus three times and on the third denial he looked across the courtyard and he saw Jesus looking at him. And I'm sure that he remembered what that felt like because when he saw Jesus looking at him, uh, he went out and he wept bitterly, it says. He was overcome. And so what does he say? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that I feel you. And, and so what Jesus was doing, he was not uh, condemning Peter. He was not trying to humiliate Peter and shame him in front of the other disciples. He was trying to heal Peter. He wasn't, you know, pointing out these things so that he could slam them. He was pointing out these things so that he could so that he could get into Peter's heart and restore Peter. And that's why he kept saying, you know, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Uh, he was saying to Peter, I'm going to, you're the leader again, Peter. That's what he was saying. And, and publicly he was restoring him, uh, the one who had failed. And that's very instructive for us because... Not only does the Lord want these two kinds of love from us, agape love and filial love, but he wants to heal our, our love. And so, um, just to, to close this up, um, there's some particular verses that have spoken to me this summer. I've been reading a book called Gentle and Lowly. Do any of you know that book? I would recommend you get that book. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's just a beautiful book on God's heart toward us. And you know, we're often, uh, we talk about our heart toward God, but what's God's heart toward us? Well, one of the scriptures he uses is John 6, 37. He who comes to me, I will no wise cast out. And, and so we, you know, we apply that to maybe the, when we first come to the Lord, but that's for every day. He who comes to me every day, I will no wise cast out. So the point of that is that Jesus is not repelled by our sin. Do you know that? He's already dealt with our sin. Uh, he dealt with our sin on the cross. And we, when we personally repent and, and ask Christ to save us, he's, not, uh, he's, he's drawn to our sin. Isn't that weird? I never really had thought of it that way before. He, he's drawn to us in spite of our sin. Um, when you're lost, your sins uh, evoke God's holy wrath. But when you're saved, they evoke his holy love. He's drawn to us. And we may sin and, and, and be kind of disgusted with ourselves. And we'll take a step back from God. Because we think God's taken a step back from us. And that's really not what's, what's going on. What is going on is Jesus is taking a step toward us. That's what he was doing with Peter. And Peter probably felt like backing into a corner because he was uncomfortable with the conviction. But Jesus was coming toward him, wanting to heal him and, and restore him. That's his heart. Uh, Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's how God operates. And so, you know, you're never going to be done with sin in this life. It's never going to leave you. Uh, you're not going to be through with sin until you're through with this body of sin and, and, and experience the, you know, the, your trip to heaven. Um, so one of the quotes that I wanted to share with you was, was this. 
Jesus sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. Jesus sides with you against your sin. You don't like your sin. I don't like mine. I don't, I don't like sinning. And when I sin, I, I feel bad. I, I, I wish I didn't. I get convicted. But Jesus is on my side. He's not um, against me. He's with me against my sin. That's liberating. When I, when I hear stuff like that, I, it, it warms my heart. It kind of cultivates my heart. It kind of stirs me up, and it stirs up my love for the Lord again. And then the third scripture is um, Hebrews 7.25. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, I confess I've never really spent a lot of time studying that or preaching it. I just kind of knew it. He never lives to make an intercession. He's up there making an intercession for me. Um, but what does that really mean? Well, it's the daily application of the atonement. You know, it's not that the cross wasn't enough because the cross was enough. But every, whenever I sin and I, I, get, I accuse myself or the accuser comes at me and he says, no, yeah, you're some Christian. You're, you're some faithful. You're not faithful at all. Uh, you don't deserve any of this. And, and you know what the Lord is doing at the same time? He's going, it's all right. I've taken care of that. I, I, I'm his savior. Um, I, I paid for that on the cross. And, and that's what he does every day. So every time he sins, we're being interceding, which is really being prayed for. And, and so what does that say about God's heart toward us? Well, it's it's wide open for us. It's, he's not repelled by us. He's, he's entering into us. You know, when we sin, he's not, you know, turning his back and going, good grief, I'm tired of this guy. He's drawing near to me, and, and he's drawing near to you. I hope that imagery, this picture of Peter and, and Jesus, and this picture of Jesus and interceding for you will, if you ponder that and think about that, maybe it will warm up your heart, and your love for him because um, it's normal to have your love kind of become ordinary. Um, there's a famous poem by William Wordsworth and he talks about the joy of a child and how the child sees everything in his joy and then it says, man proceeds it die away and fade into the light of common day. And that's what happens when you become an adult. All that kind of exuberance of life, you, you find it every once in a while, but when you're a kid, you lived it. And that's just the experience that the, the sacred becomes ordinary. And that's what happens to us as well as Christians. We need to cultivate the sacred and cultivate a heart for Christ. I trust these things will bless your hearts this week.